our scripture reading today comes from uh, Mark 15, 1 through 5, and then Psalm 39. Uh, I'll read the whole of the psalm, although focus especially on um, verses 1 through 3. So we start with Mark 15, and we read this longer passage last week, but I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses of this. You'll, you'll remember the verses that they'll, they'll um, come to mind as I read them. Hmm. So Mark 15, 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes, and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him unto Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. And then on to... Psalm 39. Psalm 39. And, uh, I draw your attention especially to verse 2 as I read here, but I'll start with verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute in silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me while I was using the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hair breaths, and my age is nothing before you. Certainly, Every man at his best, uh, in his, at his best state, is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches. He does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth, because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is vapor. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my my tears. For I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. It's good to have some sense of the, the presence of God, the august presence of God. It's good to be brought up short. It's good to come into a place where 
the immensity and the amazing nature of God uh, stops our mouths and causes us to stop for a moment and rest and wonder, who are we? Uh, we see in Mark 15, we see where Jesus was brought to a place where he was silent. And I had not thought of any antecedents to this uh, in, ter in terms of my memory, my mind, and uh, the, the scriptures I didn't see in any of the uh, commentaries where uh, I guess I just didn't look at the right place, but I didn't see this how Psalm 39 so wonderfully sets the table for the silence of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the last week of his life. Um, there are many reasons that are suggested for it, but one of those reasons is that it, it comes from Psalms 39, is that our Lord, as he represented mankind in his sin, our Lord was brought to silence because of his identification with those whom he represented. He was brought to silence because he represented sinful man. And he, he was about to have the sins of the world uh, cast upon his back like a mantle, like a heavy weight. And so as he considered all of these things, he had his antagonizers in front of him. And they were antagonizing him. They were taunting him. They were striking him. They were acting out how mighty they were despite their fallen condition, despite their need for redemption. They were antagonizing the Son of God, the Son of Man, this wonderful counselor, this one who had come to preach to them and to teach them. They were railing out against him. And he could have very naturally, and the Psalm 39 refers to the, the, the anger and the wrath, of the believer when he's caught in such circumstances. And so he could have railed out against his accusers. He could have answered them all day long. He could have displayed his deity, his brilliance, his ability to answer any man. He could have done all that, but that was, this was not the hour for that. This was the hour for our Jesus to identify with us in our humility, and in our sinfulness. And in that identification, our Lord was mute. He, it's almost as if he cared not for what others would say about him. His mind was taken up, immersed in the reflections of, of who he was and who uh, his sinful people were whom he was representing. And so in that, he was silent. And in that silence, there was a, a holiness and a wonder and a beauty. Uh, <clears throat> this drew me back. Somehow, uh, I happened upon Psalm 39. And as I read, not, not, as a, not as a direct result of studying Mark 15. And I was amazed there to read uh, how... The psalmist says he speaks of the wicked being before him, just like was in the case with Jesus. He says in verse 3, My heart was 
hot within me. I was musing. While I was musing, the fire burned. And uh, But then when he spoke, um, he spoke very humbly. He said in verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? That I may know how frail I am. And uh, indeed you have made my days as hand breaths. And my age is nothing before you. Jesus could well have said these things because he was that he was the son of glory, even as he was identifying here with the, the fallen man. And, uh, and so he muses on man's weakness, and he says, certainly every man at his best, in his best state is but vapor. You know, a, 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 a smoky vapor or just a, a vapor of condensation, it's, it, it's hardly anything. You see it, but for a moment you go out on a winter day and you breathe and your breath shows up as as a vapor in the air. And yet, what is it? It disappears a moment later. Was it anything? Was it tangible? Was it worth anything? Well, Jesus said, certainly every man in his best state is but vapor. Now here is the Son of Man. Here's the Messiah musing on created man. Man as he is, as a created being by God. He says, surely every man walks about like a shadow. Our Lord Jesus here is talking about the great people of the earth, the prime ministers, the kings, the people of great wealth who can buy and sell houses without a thought. Our Lord is speaking about the great people of the earth and he says, surely they uh, surely they walk about like a shadow. Now if there's anything maybe less tangible than a vapor, it's a shadow. The shadow only exists as long as somebody stands between a light source and itself. And as soon as that passes or changes, the shadow disappears. Surely they busy themselves in vain, the psalmist said. He heaps up riches, but he does not know who will gather them. Some of the people in this world, they work so hard to make their millions, but they have no control over where it goes after they're gone. They're utterly impotent. No power whatsoever. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? He says, my hope is in you. So that he said, as he uses on man's inability, on man's weakness, he looks to the Lord and he realizes, all of my hope must be in you. If I'm, if I'm to have any substance at all, if I'm to have any significance at all, my substance must be in you. And that's something that we have to learn, brothers and sisters. It's something that when we learn it, it, it really empowers us. Because no longer are we just meaningless uh, jots and tittles in a co meaningless cosmos, but now we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now we have a link to a noble heritage, which is the living God himself. But it's only when we understand who we are in our insignificance that we understand who we are in our significance. And I just couldn't believe how the psalm tied in so well with what Jesus is doing in Mark 15. He goes on, he says, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth. Because it was you who did it. Our Lord Jesus Christ realized that it was the Father's predetermined will, eternal will, that he be in that place at that time. 
and as the Son of God is the second person of the Trinity, it was even Jesus' will in terms of his deity that he be in that place at that time. So he knows that the divine will has done this to him. He prays later on, may this cup pass from me, but thy will, not mine, be done. And so for that sake, Jesus is silent before his accusers on this day and in this place, because it was you who did it. Verse 10, remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When we come to understand our sinfulness, and especially how our sinfulness separates us from God, we realize that we do have a plague. The, the virus that we have been fighting for this past year has changed many of the ways that we behave. Many forced us to do this and that that we would not do. I never thought I'd see everybody walking around in America with masks on. But we've seen that happen because of the plague that has fallen upon us. Our Lord refers to this, but we realize that the worst plague of all is not some foolish flu that detains us for a moment, that the worst plague of all is the sinfulness of our hearts that drags us down and is able to take our lives eternally. Jesus says, fear not the man that can destroy your flesh. Fear rather the one that can destroy your soul. There is something wonderful about us and substantial that goes to the very heart of who we are, our beings, our souls. And it's the plague that affects that. It's the plague that threatens that. That's the real key to this life upon this earth. It doesn't seem like it. Because we're flesh and blood. And we're doing everything based upon how we feel about that. But the Bible comes to us and God comes to us and he says, Beware, you're not just flesh and blood. You're not just a creature that is, explains himself. You're somebody that I created at the beginning. And he tells us in Genesis 1 all about it. How we were made. And then how we generate ourselves. We generate ourselves via children. Generationally, down through the ages. Creating children who then create children of the next generation. Who become parents. Who create children of the next generation. We see that, that we, we see that glory uh, proceeds because we are connected with God and because God explains it to us in the Bible. <clears throat> Again, at the verse eleven, at the, at the end of verse eleven, uh, he says, "You make his beauty that is the man uh, of God. You make his beauty melt away like a moth." Um, I don't know whether any of you have ever tried to catch a moth before. They 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 can look so grand and so beautiful that some of them are, have the, such amazing patterns to themselves, and and yet the patterns are created by this. Uh, biological dust with which they clothe themselves. And if you try to catch the moth, the dust just kind of disappears. And uh, the, the beauty of the moth, the beauty of the patterns can just be destroyed uh, like nothing. And they, they just appear as some dirty insect. And so it is with man. We, we have such a glory to ourselves. We have outward beauty, but then even more so, we have this inner beauty where we can think great thoughts about our lives, about reality. We can muse philosophically. We can have the most abstract thoughts, far different from the animal world, 
that only thinks about what it's eating, where it's walking, what, what's, what it's doing immediately. No, we, we reflect immediately on our existence. We reflect in an abstract way about some of the greatest things. We fall in love and we wonder, we, we reflect on that. What is this love that I feel for this woman or this man? What is this love that I feel for my children? How can my children, as misbehaving as they sometimes are, how can I love them so much? How can I find my whole uh, future tied up with them? How can that be? But that's why we are. We are, we are beautiful people in the Lord. And the Bible here says that, yet, despite that beauty, you make, you make, God makes our beauty melt, along, melt away like a moth as he draws close to us and as he exposes us to his deity. He says, surely every man is vapor. Oh, if, if people could only meditate and see themselves in this light, how much stronger they would be. He says, surely uh, every man is a vapor. Hear my prayer, O God. So he closes praying to the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Uh, do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I might regain strength. As long as the Lord gazes upon us, the intensity of his divine look, we are nothing. But uh, if he removes it for a moment, uh, we can breathe again. And we can regain our strength. He said, before I go away and am no more. So the psalmist is really musing on his own nature, his own feeble nature, and, uh, and who he is. And because of that, he, he says, despite everything that would excite me or tear me up at the beginning of the psalm, the things that would anger me, first couple of verses, despite all of that, on this day, I choose not to speak. I, I simply choose to be still and know that thou art God. I simply choose to be quiet and muse on thy deity. And if I do that, the idea is that then, uh, then I will uh, be established by you, O Lord. And so <clears throat> I just couldn't believe that, uh, that there's so much here in Psalm 39 uh, of a meditative nature that then our, my, our Lord, my Lord, could draw upon when he was facing the cross uh, in this last week of his life. And um, I, I thought of um, four, four things here, four uh, applications of this, or four... Uh, Ways that you can see the, the the significance of this. First of all, this is this is obviously appropriate, as we are creatures, and um, if if this is even appropriate for Christ, then how appropriate is it for us in our creatureliness? It's obviously uh, appropriate for us, and God can God can destroy us. He can take our lives apart so quickly by either the foolish things that we do or the sinful things that we do we may be utterly at home with them we may be utterly comfortable with them and then they're brought to our attention and we're destroyed why didn't I see that before why didn't I understand that before why didn't I know it I think of how some of the, the tremendous convulsions 
in our Presbyterian, you are not familiar with them as we are, so they probably won't have the emotional impact on you that they do on me and some of our elders. But to see some of the emotional, uh, some of the convulsions of our Presbyterian this last year, where, uh, where men that were proud men of good standing have been brought down to nothing. One has already left the Presbyterian, one is threatened with the destruction of his ministry. And it's just because some things that they didn't notice or weren't observing have suddenly come powerfully upon them to catch them up. And so um, our Lord Jesus was very much like this in the last week of his life. To, to think of being separated from the Father, this, uh, this holy Trinitarian unity of Father and Son and Holy Spirit uh, was, was uh, separated at least in a, in a manner by our Lord taking upon himself our sins that have no part in God, that God cannot look upon in a friendly or loving way at all. And so when Jesus took our sins, he was pushed away from the Father so that he could cry out in, in uh, Psalm 22, My God, my God, thou hast forsaken me. So separated was Christ, the Son, from the Father. And uh, that's the way it can be with any of us at any time as our lives are brought into uh, contrast with the greatness of God. So first of all, this is obviously appropriate for us as creatures. Secondly, it's an important lesson in affliction. Jesus was afflicted. This was something that he did. It's an important lesson for us. In 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 20. Very good verse. You ought to mark it. You ought to write it down. 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 20. Peter says, For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, you're beaten for your faults and you're quiet. You're, you're, you submit. Peter says, What credit is it if, if you're beaten for something that you've, you've done wrong and you take it patiently? But he says, When you do good, and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Amazing. Christians may be called to suffer in this age to come. What, oh, I saw this past weekend where a Canadian pastor who was holding church or not wearing masks, mm -hmm. something like that, was stopped by the police alongside the road, arrested, shackled, dragged to his car, not even for a law, but for a government regulation. The government doesn't even know the difference between regulations and laws. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, that is commendable before God. For to, do, for to this, Peter says, you were called because Christ also suffered thus for us. Leave us an example that you should follow his steps. So, in a day like this, there's a time to preach, there's a time to proclaim, and there's also a time to be silent and to watch and wait and see what the Lord does with your life and with our lives. And sometimes, as happened with Pilate, the world marvels more at our silence than our words. It's an ironical kind of a thing. And so, secondly here, this is an important lesson in affliction. Thirdly, 
to me, when I as I read Psalm 39 and mused upon it, I was I, all the stuffing was taken out of me because. Well, number three, it says, uh, I add here, this adds meaning to us in old age. This adds meaning to us in old age. As I read this, I read this as an older man. A man who has learned a lot of things, a man who has attained a certain amount of uh, significance in his life. But I find myself, the older I get, the more, the more insignificant. I'm aware that my life has been. Not that it was not significant at all, but measured against the Lord and measured against his greatness. It's as if I disappeared before him. And I saw the, some of the verses that, that just come swinging out, came swinging out of me. Lord, Lord, make me, verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. This has been an existential sense for me the past couple of years. Verse 7, and now, O Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Whatever significance I have in this world, my hope is in Christ. Uh, the great hymnist wrote, um, uh, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I Oh, Christ, if Christ is not all, then what are we? Uh, Psalm 39 realized that um, uh, surely they busy themselves in vain. Uh, he, 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 he says in verse 5, Surely you have made my days as hand breaths, just simple breaths of air. You've, you've made me like a vapor. Uh, I, I see that now as a shadow that is no more. So these verses are especially significant for us as we age and as we grow more mature and as we think about going to be with the Lord. Uh, we need to be still and know that uh, the Lord is God. And, um, and then fourthly, there's a special beauty in this as we reflect on God's immensity and his power, and his beauty. The, this insight comes from us drawing close to God and exposing ourselves to his holiness. And so, the closer we get to him, the more we see the beauty of the Lord. And we, and we are beautified by our proximity to the living God and his significance. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might have some sense of why Jesus was silent and did not answer when he was so accused in the trial at the end of his life. We see that surely Psalm 39 was in his mind where it focused so powerfully upon the humility that is ours in our created nature and especially in our fallen nature. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us spiritually to understand the deep things of the scriptures and help us to, to rest in thy goodness and in thy greatness. 
Help us, O Lord, to know thee and help us to rest in thee. For thou art our God. Thou art our Lord and thou art our Savior. Thou dost adopt us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. If we will hear your voice, that we are your beloved children, your beloved sons and daughters, because we have Christ, then you will adopt us and draw us to yourself, draw us to your bosom. Even though we were aliens like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and even though we had no um, absolute deed to anything upon this earth, no houses, no cars, no money, no jobs, no wives, no family, even though we have no absolute deeds to these things, O Lord, thou dost endow us with so much because of your grace. Help us to understand this and to be grateful unto thee and help us to bask in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.